hope everyone is uh, doing good this morning and uh, enjoyed the opening talk there. Uh, it looks like people are, are filing in here um, right now as we speak. So I'll, I'll give us just a, a minute here before uh, breaking into the, you know, the main topics. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dominic Marisich. I'm the CEO of Home Inspector Pro. Um, I've been in the industry now for the last 17 years and have gotten to know a lot of you guys uh, extremely well uh, over that time. Uh, a little bit different now, you know, doing so many virtual conferences versus seeing you in person. It's uh, great to be able to see and interact with people and ask questions uh, in person. But, uh, you know, today we'll deal with the, uh, the Zoom chat. So like Jasmine said, feel free to ask your questions on the Zoom chat. And I'll stop after covering each topic and from time to time to, to pick up any questions that you guys have. There's a lot of um, information that we're gonna have that we're gonna cover today. So make sure that you have a pad of paper out that you're taking notes. I'm gonna be doing a very kind of surface um, talk about a lot of different things. And you know, if you guys have more questions, we'll go into depth about different topics, but a lot of it is to get you guys interested and get you knowledgeable about different things that are going on uh, in the technology world in the industry uh, with security um, and it's so it's extremely interesting information but I can spend 10 hours talking about all these things in depth so make sure that you guys um, are you know paying attention and, and we'll go through this stuff pretty quickly so the different topics that we'll be kind of going over today we're gonna talk a little bit about online advertising we're going to go over different integrated technology um, that affects you guys in the industry, um, ways to you know, improve your workflow. We're going to be going in depth into digital security. This is an extremely important topic and I've uh, covered this at a, at a few different conferences over the last year. And it's probably one of the single most important things that you guys can do right now in your lives. Uh, and for your business to, to protect yourself with the way that things are going in the industry or industry and just in technology uh, across the world as it is. We're going to go over some smartphone apps for inspectors. Uh, I've done a few recent surveys to kind of update the, the list of apps that I see inspectors commonly using. And so we're going to discuss some of those. And then we're going to go over just some different ways to make sure that you guys have, have backed up your information that runs your business to make sure if something mission critical did happen, that you have a way to get back to normal and get back to where you're at. So breaking into our first topic here, we're gonna go into online advertising. Uh, by the way, you see I'm uh, using Zoom just like the rest of you guys, but I am using a software program called Prezi Live, P-R-E-Z-I uh, Live. Uh, it's like six bucks a month, but it allows you to do interactive slides uh, up and kind of overlay them with you guys or with me when I'm, I'm doing a talk. This is ex extremely useful for inspectors that are doing talks to agents right now. We have a lot of guys that are, you know, meeting once or twice a week or, or more often and they might have the marketing person meeting with different offices and using some tech or using technologies like this can, uh, can help kind of jazz up what you're doing rather than only seeing you or a slide at the same time. This allows you to see everything. So going over online advertising, this is one of the most common questions that I see asked on Facebook and on the InterNACHI forums and other places. You know, where do I put my money? How do I make the best use of, of my ad money, my ad revenue? Uh, I've given talks for two hours, four hours, and eight hours at different conferences about 
um, doing online advertising. So this is a, a huge topic that you know could really be delved into. But just to kind of cover some of the some of the highlights and things for you guys to think about as as you're getting into this world of online advertising. One of the most important things to remember is that you know, like the common question is how much should I spend or is 50 bucks a month you know enough or $100 a month. Uh, I see people with ad campaigns from you know $50 to $100 up to $5 or $10,000 a month depending on the, the size of the company. The most important thing to remember when you're going through any form of advertising, especially online is what's your return on your investment. You know, if you spend $100 in ads and you get you know five inspections worth you know $800 each, you've now made $4,000 off that $100. Is that worth it? It should be worth it all day long. If you spend $1,000 in ads and you get $10,000 in inspections, is that worth it to you? So you know, some people are afraid to spend more money, but as long as you're able to track your return on investment and you know that what you're getting back is worth it, then there's absolutely no reason not to keep continuing increasing what your ad budget is, assuming that you can handle the workflow that comes in. One of the things that's mixed things up over the last uh, year or two is that, you know, it, it used to be everyone really focused on putting their ad money into Google. Uh, maybe you, you know, put it on some other search engines. And that really has changed over the last few years. There's a lot of places to use uh, that for ads. In fact, for our company, for Home Spectra Pro, I, we, we greatly reduced our, our ad budget for Google. There's just so many other places that are so much more effective now where you can be so much more targeted to people that uh, is worth spreading that money around. But one of the things is with that, especially when you're just getting started out and you're trying to find the places that are most effective, um, some of the places, especially if you're in a big city, you can end up spending a lot of money on particular ads. If you're in Chicago or in New York and you're trying to target you know, Chicago home inspections, you're gonna spend $5 per every click. You know, if you're in a small town, you're, you might spend only 20, 30, or 50 cents on that. Um, but one of the ways that you can actually adjust this is to start targeting other types of, um, of sources, other social media sites. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the other places that you can actually put your money now. So these are all the different, the top social media sites right now. Uh, Facebook has over a billion users. 80% of them are 80 to 50 year olds. So we have a good number of people there, especially the 30 to 50 year olds that are um, gonna be looking at houses right now. Remember, there's two types of people that you're normally targeting with your online advertising. You're targeting your buyers, but you're also targeting real estate agents and everything as well. Um, Pinterest is one that's really interesting that I've been playing with more and working with some different inspectors on that most people don't think about at all, um, especially in our industry. And so because of that, it's actually a place where you can get online ads for much cheaper because there's a lot less competition directly for those terms. So Pinterest has 322 million users. And these numbers, by the way, are probably about a month or two old. So um, they don't release you know, social media numbers on a daily basis. So it's very possible that these numbers are even higher right now. The interesting thing about Pinterest is Pinterest is a site where people share collections. Uh, it could be you know, uh, gardening ideas. It could be home construction ideas. Um, I moved back in February and we have a, a little urban farm and I've used Pinterest to look up uh, different type of fencing because I built a bunch of fencing and stuff around our property. And so because of that, the people that use Pinterest are primarily high income and they're also primarily parents. Um, there's also a high number of women that use it, but there's also a, a lot of men that use it as well. 
but the the people that are using Pinterest have a much higher chance of actually being people who are going to buy homes. And so just like any other social media site, you can actually directly target ads on Pinterest website and you can uh, target the ads for people that are looking for certain type of topics. And we'll cover that here in just a second. Uh, Instagram has over 400 million users. Um, over half of them are in the 25 to 50 year old age group. There's a lot of younger uh, people using it as well, but they still have a huge number of people. Uh, and if you don't know, Facebook actually purchased Instagram. So the two of them can be directly connected together. Snapchat has 210 million daily users. Uh, a quarter of them are in our 30 to 49 year old age group, which is a, a huge group for, for home buyers. Uh, TikTok is the one that you guys have probably heard a ton about lately. They've really exploded because of the pandemic and the number of people that were, uh, you know, stuck at home, especially in the younger age group. But 40% of the users are 24 or under. Uh, and 80% of all their users are from China and India. So while it's, it's massively growing in the U.S., especially for a software that, um, you know, didn't, no one really even knew about, you know, more than a year ago. I think I first heard of it uh, last summer. Uh, it's, it's definitely exploding very, very quickly. And then the other two places, you know, I think everyone knows about Google ads. You search for something, you know, uh, Chicago home inspector or whatever it is someone's looking for and Google pops up an ad and shows it. You can target that very easily. But the other thing is YouTube. Um, most people don't realize that you can directly target different topics for YouTube videos. So this becomes more important when you, you kind of get into our next topic here, which is uh, how to start targeting the ads to um, particular people. And we'll cover that here in, in just a second. Um, one of the things that I wanted just to cover briefly was social media and, and all these different sites that I just listed. As an inspector, you need to be posting to, you know, as many of these as you can, um, or have someone in your office that's, that's posting to many of these as, as you can. And that becomes very overwhelming very quickly because, you know, it can take you five, 10 minutes to post to each one. Uh, one of the products that I use is Hootsuite, and I know quite a few inspectors I've talked to over the years that I've shown this to. It's a way to post, to write your post once and have it go to every social media platform at the exact same time. Uh, Hootsuite, their main plan is 29 bucks a month, uh, super inexpensive for what it gives you. But the nice thing is, is, you know, I can take my phone and if you're in a, a crawl space or an attic, you can take a picture you know, write a quick comment on the Hootsuite app, click submit, and it'll automatically go to all these sources at the exact same time. So when you're trying to work on your social media campaigns and you're just overwhelmed and you find yourself just posting to one place, uh, I'm definitely, um, you know, someone who, who finds myself posting on Facebook more than other places. And I have to remind myself, hey, I have this, you know, software program to make sure that I can be targeting all the different social media platforms at the exact same time. So definitely uh, check out Hootsuite. They have a free trial and stuff that you can go through as well. And the more that you're posting, the more that you're getting out there, the more exposure that you have. So going along with the, the Google ad campaign, um, or just advertising campaigns in general, the, the question is how do you target people? And so, you know, one way is, you know, the, the traditional way where you're typing in uh, certain terms that people are looking for. Also, you know, Facebook, YouTube, uh, or Google, all these sites now have very, very targeted demographic searches. So you can literally say, I am looking for people that are 
process of purchasing a home right now, or I'm looking for people who are parents. I'm looking for people who have an income over $500,000 a year. You can super target. Uh, I'm looking for people that live within 10 miles of zip code X. And you can really target your advertising campaigns to a specific group of people. And this is extremely important. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, there's always all these debates over privacy information and, you know, having cookies stored on your browsers that are tracking everything you do is all these different social media platforms or search engines know a hell of a lot of information about all of us. That's why, you know, as soon as you go to Expedia and you, you search for a, a trip to Hawaii or, you know, pre-COVID, you would have been looking for, for a trip to Hawaii. Every single website in the world that all of a sudden is offer, offering airfare and, and a million other ways for you to get, uh, you know, travel tips. Um, so you have that same capability and it, it's very quick, quick and easy and it's something that we, I definitely dive into in some of the other uh, talks that I do. But it's just good to be aware that you're, you can easily target people, but don't limit yourself to just tar targeting people that are looking for a home inspection. The reality is you want to start looking for people way before they want a home inspection. You want to start looking and targeting your advertising campaigns to people that are looking for a house. Because if they're looking for a house, that means sometime in the next month or two months, they're going to be looking for a home inspector. And what you can do is you can set it up so you actually are able to kind of track or stalk people. Um, it's actually called remarketing. But if any person sees your ad and then clicks on your website because they're interested, your ads will actually follow them for the next 30 days. Um, you can extend that up to 90 days. We find with home inspections, it's usually good 30 to 60 days. So... Facebook calls this a Facebook pixel. Uh, Google calls it Google remarketing, but basically you place a little bit of code on your website. And once somebody visits your website, then from then on, all the different advertising that um, they see when they go to YouTube, you're able to directly target those people. So if someone visits my site for the next month or two, they're going to see ads about Home Inspector Pro popping up on YouTube and all sorts of other places. So this is, uh, this is something that's... Um, highly effective because you know they've been interested you interested in you at one point and if you're targeting people that are looking for houses uh, now they're constantly being reminded of you as you're going along so this is just kind of a, a surface look at, at advertising but it's it's extremely important um, that everyone kind of understands this we have people that are running you know multi-thousand dollar ad campaigns on all these different search engines and we have people that are doing a hundred or two hundred dollars a month it, it doesn't matter um, but it, it's something that is extremely critical to you know business success especially if you're a newer inspector and you're trying to break in and you don't have all the connections and everything that other inspectors have built up over years um, looking at uh, a few of the questions here before i i dive into the next uh question um or next topic here i should say we have uh someone asking what the software was that i was using again um this is prezi p-r-e-z-i live, Prezi Live. Um, so check that out. Like I said, they have a free trial. You can jump on there. They have a free version of Prezi Live you can use that has a, a much more limited uh, capabilities for adding in more information. Um, and then this is their, their paid version. Uh, Shannon was asking, is there a program like Hootsuite that also includes posting to Google My Business? I don't think Hootsuite has Google My Business, but uh, I'll have to take a look. I haven't been the best about uh, posting to there. I just uh, personally post, uh, you know, some business photos and videos and stuff like that. And I've, 
uh, not posted as much over time. As far as you know, getting Google business reviews, definitely check out people like Blip, um, which is the, one of the largest, or if not the largest, uh, review softwares for home inspectors. That's a B-L-I-P-P. Uh, they've been awesome at helping home inspectors get you know, 500 to 1,000 reviews for their business. And that's an important part of online advertising as well, because the more reviews that you get, the higher your natural organic rank is going to be on all these search engines. So, um, second. one of the big differences of, you know, doing this on a, a webinar versus in live is usually I'd get to stop and have people talk and ask questions instead of, uh, instead of me just be, be talking nonstop. Um, some people asking about uh, the price for the pixel and stuff like that. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. All right. So going over technology that affects you in the industry, technology with your websites, technology um, with your email accounts and everything else. One of the biggest problems that I see on a, on a daily basis, you know, just dealing with our company and dealing with home inspectors is the number of home inspectors that are still using free email accounts. You're using AOL, you're using Yahoo, you're using Hotmail. Um, not only does this not look professional, you know, you guys are professionals, you need to have uh, email addresses at, um, you know, gatewoodhomeinspections.com or, you know, whatever your, your website address is. So you're, you're presenting this professional uh, appearance. But the even bigger problem is, is email deliverability. Um, for people that are using systems like ISN or using Next or using uh, Home Inspector Pro Office or using iContact or MailChimp, all of these are services that are delivering emails on your behalf. And the problem is, is that when other companies are delivering emails on your behalf, the receiving uh, person for the email, their email servers have to verify if that's a valid email or if it's spam. And when you're using these free email systems um, and someone else is sending email on your behalf, those receiving systems are much more likely to mark your email as spam, which means now you're delivering a report and it's not being delivered to you know, your client or to the agent um, and people are getting frustrated with you and everything else. So the, the way that you improve your deliverability is something called um, email verification. And the two primary methods that this is done is SPF records, which you can see right here, and DKIM records. Um, what these are is, is, a, is a larger topic, but write down those two things, SPF and DKIM. And what you're going to want to do is go to the person that's in charge of your website. And you're going to say, I need to get these set up for, and then list any companies that are sending email on your behalf. Um, if you're using ISN, for example, they have articles specifically on SPF and DKIM records. But what you have to do is you add specific information for who is sending your emails. And each website will have that information listed on them in their help articles. You list that with your website. Um, so it'll go on your, it's called your DNS records. Again, you ask your, your webmaster to help you with this. And then those records tell the world that I am okay with, you know, ISN sending emails on my behalf. And once you've done that, then your email deliverability will go way up. It should be 95 to 100% because now you have verified that it's okay for those people to deliver your email. So uh, definitely get that done. If you don't have a email account right now, 
What I highly recommend is using uh, Google's hosted suite. So instead of using, uh, it's called Google Business, um, instead of using, you know, gmail.com or, or aol.com, uh, unfortunately, I still see way too often. Uh, if you go to google.com slash a, then you'll get a, a list of how to subscribe. It's uh, $5 a month per email account, but then you'll have a, a Google hosted email package or you get all Google apps and everything else, but you actually have your domain name. And so that makes a much more professional account. You can do this through companies like GoDaddy or whoever's hosting your site, but um, the one that we find the most useful because you're already trying to integrate into, you know, as uh, someone who was messing earlier, Shannon, you're, met, you're trying to integrate into Google business and everything else as well. Um, getting into that Google infrastructure so you can use, you know, Sheets and Google Docs and Google Forms and everything else within your business anyways uh, is, is important. So for five bucks a month, it's, it's more than worth it. And you get all their spam protection and everything else too. Uh, the other huge thing for inspectors is using Google Photos. Um, we've seen more and more guys using this over the last couple of years as I've been teaching this at different conferences. Uh, for, for home inspectors, photos is one of the most important things that you guys have. You want to keep your photos long term. You want to be able to, to search for photos quickly. So Google Photos allows you to back up. Um, you can either have an unlimited number of photos if you allow them to reduce the quality from the original resolution. And the quality is still great. Uh, it's like five megapixels now, which is still more than enough that you guys need. Or one terabyte of storage, um, which, you know, used to be a lot of information, but now, you know, we have hard drives that are, are you know, two, three or five terabyte storage devices. Um, and we're taking photos up to 64 megapixels that, you know, are, are, are massive in size. Um, but the nice thing about Google Photos is it'll, you can at any time click a single button and have it remove all the photos from your phone that it's already backed up or from your computer. And it'll have already synced to them to Google's cloud. And you can go to photos.google.com. You can view all the photos that you have and you can search them. So um, if you go to Google Photos and if we have time later, um, and I'll show this off a little bit, but you can go to Google Photos and you can type in electrical panel and it'll bring up and it'll show you every photo that you've ever taken of, of an electrical panel or you type in pool and you get all the pictures of your pools and you'll probably get some pool tables and stuff like that as well. But it'll, it'll everything that Google thinks using its image recognition services is related to a pool, you'll get a photo of that. Um, we've seen guys using this, you know, to pull up photos for reference or to show something to a client, client quickly. But the cool thing is, is that you have access to every photo you've ever taken directly within the app within seconds, even though they're not actually stored on your phone anymore. Um, we have a, a feature in our software, you know, where you can save a full size copy of every single photo you take, even though it's not going in the report and guys turn on Google photos. And then that full size image is being backed up, deleted from the phone but still instantly accessible. Um, and then you can share all your photos. So if you're a multi-inspector firm, you put a, a different copy of, or a separate install of Google Photos on everyone's computer, on everyone's phone, and then they have to share their account with you, and then you have full access to all of their photos. So if a guy you know, um, goes on a cruise tomorrow, you still have access to all his pics if there's a, an issue and you just sit there and, uh, and review a photo. Um, not that it's likely anyone's going on a cruise anytime soon, but, uh, you know, so full, full backups of all your information, full searchability, 
um, shareability, and most importantly, it cleans up data from your phone uh, extremely quickly. Um, and this is free for, for all Google Photos people, or for all Google users. Uh, I see Justin Lozo uh, mentioned that he's also using Amazon Photo Storage, which is also free as long as you have Prime, um, which you know most people do. I think I have Amazon show up in my house about five times a day right now to drop off packages. So, All right, going over to the next technology, voice recognition. I see far too many home inspectors using their phone and tapping on the keypad one finger at a time. Uh, if you're not a quick uh, typer, then voice recognition is extremely important when you're going through and doing your inspection reports. Um, whether you're on Android, iPhone, or iPad right now, uh, the awesome thing is, is, is the quality is fantastic, especially the more you use it. For a long time, iPhone and uh, iPad devices only had voice recognition if you had an internet connection. Um, that's finally changed with the, the last few versions of iOS. So it'll actually work online or offline. It was one of the big separating factors when people asked me Android or iPhone that I was pushing people to Android because voice recognition didn't work if you didn't have an internet connection. So voice recognition, I can sit there, I can type a narrative into your favorite inspection software and it types the narrative directly in in real time, um, which you know has been awesome for, for just speeding things up on site. You want to do as little of your inspection report back at home, get as much as you can get done on site. So that way you're not uh, duplicating all your work and your efforts. Uh, looking at Windows computers versus Mac computers, um, both actually now have built-in voice recognition. You know, if you're using Cortana or using Siri, they're built in. A lot of people still use Dragon naturally speaking. Um, Dragon is, is a great software program. It is pretty different between Windows and Mac. Um, the company that owns Dragon actually sold the rights to the software for Mac and the separate company actually develops that version. So the Windows version tends to be a little bit different, but they, they both still work and I still see inspectors that are, are using both of those. Um, using a, a, your native keyboard versus the third party keyboard. Personally, I can't stand the native Android keyboard or the Apple keyboard. Uh, there's a lot of separate apps that are out that have better keyboards. The number one that I recommend is Swift Keys, and I have uh, spelled that out right here, Swift Keys. Um, it's an app on both Android and iPhone. Uh, it's free, but the predictive algorithms that it uses are, are far superior to either of the native apps. So as I'm typing a narrative in, it'll actually guess what the next word's gonna be, and I can tap on it uh, based on the patterns in my text messages, in my emails, um, or you know any, any thing else that I'm typing into software, into your inspection software or other, other places. Um, and it also has, you know, swipe where you can just drag your finger across all the letters and it'll form the words. So it, I find that uh, in the inspectors that I've talked to that, that switch to using an app like SwiftKeys instead of the, the default keyboard end up typing much, much faster uh, as well as just selecting words as they go along to, to speed themselves up. And, of course, going through things you know quickly on site when you're when you're entering in data is is paramount. You don't want to be sitting there uh, going so slow that you can't keep up with yourself as you're walking around, and you don't want to be just taking longer on the inspection in general or giving up on doing stuff on site. So you know the the more that you can directly collect that data on site, the the smoother things are going to go for you, and the more money you'll be making per hour because you're you're not redoing all this information at home. So definitely check out voice recognition.
another technology that is huge, huge for streamlining things for home inspectors is Zapier. Uh, Zapier is a free program that you can use. Uh, there's paid versions as well, depending on how much you're using it to integrate different technologies together. Um, we use this at, at our company um, a million different ways every single day and everything about it is automated. So for example, uh, we currently use Ring Central for answering all the phones at Home Inspector Pro. And we wanna make sure we never miss a call. I'm going through and loading up their software and constantly logging in and, and getting into the call log and trying to figure out what's going, um, you know, who's called, what call did we miss, what call do we need to, to call back, uh, it's time consuming. And so what we did is Zapier allows you to connect technologies that don't natively connect together. Meaning though each company has not built a way for you to connect with software A to software B. Thousands of companies, I think tens of thousands of companies now connect with Zapier. And because of that, it allows you to connect things together. So when someone calls us, it automatically using Zapier adds a row to a Google Sheet. And in Google Sheet, I can now pull it up and see every single phone call that we had for today. It drops in the phone number, it drops in the person's name, if there was caller ID. Um, it drops in, you know, how long the call lasted, if there was a call, and then we have a place in Google Sheets for there to be notes that my employees can type in. So it's called a Zap. I've connected, and the, the website is zapier.com, I've connected RingCentral and Google Sheets together. And literally, it takes you maybe 10 minutes to do that. You can have it so if someone calls you, that phone number um, automatically, you know, gets added to a Google Doc. It could be that someone emails you and you automatically add it to eye contact or MailChimp if you have mailing lists. Um, we have a lot of stuff going on between uh, eye contact and MailChimp that we use right now where if someone downloads a trial of a, uh, a software on our website, that triggers a zap and that information gets added into multiple places. You can also do Zapier integrations between the different social media campaigns. So if someone chats with you on Facebook, then their information is zapped over to a Google Sheet or an email is automatically generated that goes to your marketing team to say, hey, this person just messaged on Facebook, you know, can you follow up with them? And all of this can be automated. Um, we have people that are setting up invoices using Zapier. So um, if you're using a system like ISN or our HIP office, um, I think Next has this capability as well, that if someone books an order, you have a zap created that'll automatically um, send that information to QuickBooks. So it'll automatically send that information to, you know, MailChimp so that they're added to your mailing list. So um, it, it's go to zapier.com and you can type in different things that you use and you can see samples apps. You can see how you can make different software programs connect together. Um, it gets as crazy as you can literally say, if someone messages me on Facebook, I want my, you know, my lights that I have hooked up to a, a Wemo Wi-Fi system to blink on and off 10 times. I mean, you can do stuff that is completely crazy by connecting these different technologies together. Uh, if you have a garage door opener that's hooked up to Wi-Fi, which I've seen lately, I want my garage door to open, you know, every time somebody calls. I mean, you can, you can integrate all these technologies together and obviously you want to do things more useful than that, but I'm just kind of saying how two things that were never meant to be connected or they just haven't had time to connect together directly can, can go directly through Zapier. Um, 
I had someone asking about uh, can I integrate this into my InterNACHI buyback guarantee? Uh, I do not think that InterNACHI has a hookup to Zapier, but you know, we definitely asked, uh, asked Nick to create that. I'm sure he would put his guys on that. You know, who knows? All right, so a- hey, uh, Dominic, yeah. we, have, uh, we have another question over here from John. Um, he was asking, is it wise to use a Google phone number and not have two phones? Um, so is it wise to use a Google phone number and not have two phones? Um, I was actually, I think I had Google Voice on here as a tech that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, using a Google phone number is, is a great thing to do. Um, so Google Voice is, is what it's called. And the nice thing is that you can create a Google Voice number and that will uh, automatically transcribe all your voicemails. It'll allow you to redirect your phone calls um, to all the different things that you have. You can make your phone ring on your computer. You can make your phone ring on your cell phone or if you still had a landline. Um, you can connect those different technologies together. So for a, a single inspector, um, using something like Google Voice uh, is nice. Um, I use Google Voice as well, but I have it connected to my normal phone number. So you don't have to have a separate phone number issued by Google to use Google Voice. Um, but if you don't have a separate personal phone and a separate business phone or separate numbers, then I would set up Google Voice with a separate phone number. That way you're able to tell if someone is calling, your, calling you personally, you know, family or friends, or if someone's calling through the business through the Google Voice line. Uh, and that's a free service that you can add from Google. So definitely, uh, definitely check that out. Uh, if you go to voice.google.com or if on your phone, uh, just download the Google Voice app and you can go through that and set that up. Uh, all right, so one of the, <laughs> the, the never ending battles, uh, what kind of phone do I get? In the past, when I've discussed this and I, and I you know, I, I'm always updating this because this information is always changing. And I, I've talked about this for <laughs> the last 15 years. Uh, I remember going to a inspection conference uh, 15 years ago in, uh, in Chicago. Uh, I think it was actually the first time I, I traveled uh, that Nick had me go to a conference for InterNACHI or a, like a one day meeting. And I had 300 inspectors in the room. And I asked everyone that had a smartphone to raise their hand and three inspectors raised their hand, three guys out of 300. Uh, if you ask 300 guys right now, how many had, or how many did not have a smartphone, I would be shocked if there was more than three guys. And yes, there are still people that have flip phones. Um, they're, they're kind of a, a rare commodity, but we, we definitely do see it from time to time, but very, very, very rarely. So the, the debate has always been, do I get a Google phone or an Android phone? Do I get an iPhone or do I get a Windows phone? Uh, and for the last five years, I've told guys, stay away from the Windows phone. And one of the main reasons occurred, Microsoft has now said, we are not supporting Windows phones. Go buy an Android, go buy an iPhone. We don't care. But, you know, Microsoft gave up and, and realized what they should have realized five years ago, that they were late to the market uh, and their phones, uh, you know, no one was going to buy them. That's why you never saw any inspection software or inspection related tools that worked on a Microsoft phone. It wasn't worth you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop a, a software program for a platform that everyone knew was gonna die. Uh, kind of like when Microsoft tried to uh, get into the internet game after years of saying the internet wasn't gonna be that big of a thing. And they tried creating Internet Explorer 
and they were already so far behind um, you know all the other browsers that that were out at the time and they they still you know google chrome and firefox uh and safari still you know outdo um, edge microsoft edge in, in many ways so so now where are we you know obviously we have iphones uh the new iphone 12 was just announced it has a anywhere from a on average, a 20-hour battery life, they say that, you know, typically you can use it for up to three days. Um, Apple products are definitely renowned for having awesome battery life. Um, using an iPad, you know, an iPad, we're looking at a 10-inch screen. Um, for home inspections, we definitely do see home inspectors that enjoy using an iPad. Typically, though, an iPad is a lot harder to maneuver to take photos when you're, you know, in a crawl space, um, when you're in the attic you know, trying to back up and, and take a good picture when you're, when you're laying on your stomach and crawling through an area is, is kind of a hard thing to do. But for some guys, it, it works great. Um, or using a, a iPhone. I, I see I, uh, oh yeah, iPad versus iPad mini. Uh, using an iPhone or using an iPad mini. So the iPad minis are a little bit smaller. We see a lot more guys using the minis because they're kind of a good balance. But the reality is now like the new iPhone has a 6.7 inch screen and the iPad mini is only an eight inch screen. So the, the, the difference between, you know, the new iPhone Max, um, between that and an iPad mini is, is shrinking. You know, it used to be an iPhone was a, a three and a half inch screen and then it was four and a half inch screen, now it's five inch. Now the large version is up to 6.7 inches. Um, it, it really becomes this personal preference. You know, you, you're already gonna have your primary phone. Do you wanna purchase a separate device to do your inspections on? I highly, highly recommend that you do. Um, but if you don't have the money and you're, you're, you're trying to, to, you know, make sure that you're running things efficiently, you know, using your same your cell phone that you use to answer your calls as your inspection device works perfectly fine. Um, the reason that I recommend not using your phone is that your, your phones, you're, you're using your phone or on an inspection for, you know, six to eight hours or, or more per day. Um, and your screen is on constantly. And so when you have a cell phone, cell phone batteries are drained constantly by simply looking for a signal. So if you're in an area that doesn't have a great signal, your phone is constantly trying to ping the towers and saying, hey, do I have signal? Do I have signal? Do I have signal? And that's a huge drain on the battery. Uh, it's also receiving text messages and it's receiving Facebook messages. And in the background, even though your phone's in the pocket, it's hitting Facebook servers, it's hitting your Gmail servers, and it's, it's constantly on and, and transferring data and sucking that battery life. The other thing is, is that if, most people don't reset their phones very often. You know, computers, they start to slow down, you, you reset your computer. Most people don't realize that you should probably do the same thing with your phone. Uh, we have guys that call us at support all the time, and they're like, ah, oh, my phone's just really lagging, what's wrong with the software? And we'll say, hey, when's the last time you restarted your phone? Uh, and they'll restart their phone and everything was perfectly fine. We actually have a, a feature now where we show you when the last time was you reset your phone. Um, and there's guys that haven't reset their phones in three or four months. And so all these other apps are running in the background. Uh, I see on, on my phone alone, I'll often have 20 to 30 apps that are running in the background. And a lot of those are, are sucking data and, and killing the battery life. And so simply rebooting your phone will, will fix that. But if you have a dedicated device that you just use, it doesn't even need a data plan because you can hotspot your phone. But if you have a device that's dedicated just to your inspection software, 
um, that'll and, and maybe a few other inspection apps that you use. That means that your battery life is gonna last way longer. So you're much more likely to get through all three inspections or all two inspections that you're doing that day without having to grab a battery backup pack and plug that in and charge it. So, um, so with that, the, the few Android phones that we're looking at, you know, iPhone, your decision is, is pretty easy. Get the latest iPhone. But on Android, there's over 4,000 different Android devices. Um, and while that does cause quite a bit of, of havoc and sometimes hell in, you know, the, in the software industry trying to, um, trying to modify apps for specific devices, um, it does give a lot of flexibility. Um, the number one thing that I can say is to make sure that you avoid using uh, the cheap $50 phone that you find at Walmart, okay? Don't, we, we see that from time to time and you will have nothing but problems. You wanna use a good phone. And so um, right now I personally use the, the Google Pixel 4XL. Uh, the Google Pixel 5 is just coming out. Um, they don't have a 5XL right now. Um, which is the, the large version. And there's a few reasons Google looks like they might actually be ending that line because the Google Pixel 5 itself is, is already 6.3 inches. Um, they have another, I think it's the 4A, which is 6.7 inches that they just came out with uh, earlier this year. Um, and then they have the Samsung Note 20 Ultra, which has a 6.9 inch screen. Again, our, our phones are approaching the size of an iPad mini, which is an eight inch. I mean, they're, they're extremely close. Um, Neither of these phones, the, the, the 20 Ultra or the Pixel 5, are a massive improvement from last year's phone. So if you have the Pixel 4, it has a 12 megapixel camera, it has the same processor as the Pixel 5, um, the same thing with the Note 20 Ultra. Um, they're making other software improvements. I actually went uh, camping last weekend at, uh, at Valley of Fire Park, north of Vegas. And the Pixel has a new night feature for uh, astrology where it actually sits there and you set it up a tripod and it takes a four minute time-lapse photo to let all this light in uh, and creates amazing, amazing photos. So most of what new phones are doing now is improving on the software of the cameras. The, the iPhone, the new iPhone 12 does have multiple cameras as does the Pixel, as does the Ultra. And so now where, you know, phones never had a optical zoom before, um, they had a digital zoom, which is like blowing something up on a copy machine. It's something we never recommended. They now have multiple lenses so that you can get a, a two to uh, five time optical zoom. And so when you pinch zoom within your, your camera app, it actually switches lenses. And so that way you're actually getting an optical zoom. So that's, that is one of the cool technologies that's coming in with, with newer, newer phones is that they're getting optical lenses without having an aperture that, that zooms like your normal digital camera uh, would. Um, some of the fun phones that I think are, are amazing for home inspectors. I've talked about the last few years, the, um, the cat for Caterpillar uh, S61. Um, Right now, they came out with the S62 Pro, uh, which is in the UK right now. It's supposed to be released in the US here shortly. And the Yule Phone Armor. So both of these are, are amazing phones here. And I'm actually gonna switch over 
and do a quick video. There's a minute and a half video on each phone just to show you what these phones have. Um, we have a lot of inspectors now that are using both the CAT phone and using the Yule phone um, for a multitude of reasons. And uh, we'll, we'll show this video here real quick um, and then we'll I'll come back and, and kind of discuss um, what makes these so cool. I'm gonna jump over here. All right, share screen. Hey, Jazz, can you confirm, do you see my screen share right now? Yes, I can see your screen. All right, perfect, just wanted to make sure. All right, this is the Yule phone. All right, so that's the Yule phone. And we'll talk about the differences here in just a second. And then this is the Caterpillar S62. Let me turn up my volume a little bit more just to make sure you guys can hear that just fine. Caterpillar uh, obviously is uh, fully backs these phones and has for a while. credentials and a range of thermal image enhancements to choose from. MSX adds visible light and outline details in real time. To capture an image with MSX, tap to open blending options and select MSX. Slide to adjust brightness and intensity of the outline detail overlay. 
slide here to adjust the alignment of the MSX overlay for close-up shots. Dismiss blending options with another tap, then capture your image. Simple. Now try enhancing images with alpha blending. It blends the visual scene in behind the thermal image, giving even greater clarity and context. To capture images with alpha blending, tap to open blending options. Select alpha blending. Slide to increase or decrease thermal detail transparency levels to see more or less of the visual image. And slide here to adjust alignment of the overlay for close-up shots. Tap to dismiss blending options and capture your image. Vivid IR is an enhanced image processing technology from FLIR, giving you thermal images with increased definition and clarity to quickly locate hotspots or water leaks, and can be used with blended images slash MSX too. You might know slower performance when using Vivid IR due to its processor heavy requirements. To turn Vivid IR image processing on, tap to turn on, then just tap away from the menu to dismiss it. All right, so let me switch back here. So those are uh, two of the kind of industry phones that have been released um, or are being released right now. Uh, both of the phones, the Yule phone and the Caterpillar phone have had multiple predecessors over the last few years. Um, both are military spec and are used by uh, firefighters across the country and across the globe. Um, there's, there's a lot of videos you can find on both phones um, about their durability. For example, on the, the Caterpillar phone, uh, the first video I saw of the Cat S61 that came out two years ago, they actually went to Scotland and they dropped the phone off a, you know, 60 foot tall uh, castle and dropped it off the top uh, spire. And then it landed on a concrete wall and bounced off. And then they drove over it with the tractor uh, and then actually used the bucket and pushed the bucket into the phone to lift up the front end of the tractor. Uh, obviously the, the phone kind of got pushed into the dirt, but the, the reality was they, they picked the phone up, the screen was perfectly fine, they wiped it off and they used it. Um, there's some videos going over and they're just, you know, um, you know, just normal reviewers, not from the actual phone companies. Uh, on the Yule phone I looked at last night where they take a drill and they're trying to drill into the screen and it doesn't crack. Then the guy takes the phone and he starts whacking walnuts and, and crushing them as someone else is saying they're rolling them at him. Throws it across the room, throws it down a flight of stairs, uh, drives over it with a car in a puddle, you know, uh, drops it in a pool. You know, these, these phones without external cases are completely waterproof. Um, yes, the, they run Android, so they'll run all your, your favorite home inspection software. Um, as, as I see, you know, Lisa's asking right now, what do I think about the IR cameras? So they, they both have infrared built in. They're both FLIR infrared sensors. No, they're not going to be as good as buying a, you know, multi-thousand dollar, you know, camera. Um, but for someone who doesn't have an IR camera yet, they are a, a good kind of quick introduction. Um, they heavily rely on software to improve the quality of the image, which you saw in the Caterpillar um, demo there, they use quite a few different overlays so that they're actually overlaying the digital 
uh, non-infrared with the infrared photo. And so you get the sharpness in the image from the, the non-infrared photo and then overlays the infrared on top. Um, it, you can definitely detect heat, you know, in an electrical panel and stuff like that. The, the pinpoint accuracy is not as good as a brand new infrared, but the reality is, is these are a hundred times better than the infrared cameras 10 or 15 years ago that guys were using, or maybe even in a lot of the cameras six or seven years ago, um, which, you know, we got along with fine in the industry. So I still fully recommend getting a, a full dedicated infrared camera, um, but as a quick back up, you know, maybe you pull this out and you're taking pictures and you use that to decide whether you pull out your separate infrared camera. Um, you know, it definitely worked great. We do have inspectors that, you know, they're a multi-spectra firm and they don't have enough money, um, you know, to buy, you know, an infrared camera for every single guy, or you just don't have enough yet. Then using these can help you, you know, look at things and figure out that, God, that breaker is, you know, was way too hot right now. Um, with that, some of the other cool things, so the Caterpillar phone, for example, has, uh, and I believe the, the Yule phone, although I didn't see this listed, has a, a laser measuring tool. So you can actually sit there and, um, you know, hit an app and it opens a laser measuring tool and you can measure the distance between, uh, between two things. Maybe you're looking at the, the distance between, you know, beams in an attic or whatever. Um, the cat phone also has an air quality sensor. It measures VOCs, which is, you know, the, the fumes given off by paints and other substances, and it can tell you about the air quality inside of a house. No, that's nowhere near, you know, the, the quality of buying a completely separate device. Um, but again, this is where technology is going, going into integrating devices all in one. The, the Caterpillar phones were running at like $1,000 uh, for the Cat S61, the 62 has come down to around $700. Um, the Yule phone, you can find anywhere from 500 to 800, depending on what accessories you get. So you saw they had an endoscope on there where, you know, you could sit there and, and, and attach the small attachment to it and then look down, you know, a drain, look into an air vent um, with a light. And, and, you know, a lot of guys have bought like the, the ferret device, which is fantastic and probably has a little better quality. Um, which is a, a tool that a lot of inspectors use, and I have one as well. Um, but having that little endoscope tool to attach directly to your phone uh, is, is awesome as well. So you, there's different packages, but the cheapest one's only 500 bucks. So, and the amazing thing is, and um, I haven't gotten a Yule phone yet, I'm actually planning on getting one soon, but I know quite a few inspectors that do, is the Yule phone 9 actually has a 64 megapixel camera. So you're looking at the Pixel and the Note Ultra, they have 12 megapixels. Uh, this takes a 60 megapixel. Now, will you ever put a 60 megapixel photo in your report? Absolutely not. You know, the photos going to inspection reports are still at a max going to be three megs because maybe five, just because the, the, the amount of time uh, a 64 megapixel photo is going to be massive. It's going to be like 40 or 50 megs. Um, so you're not going to, uh, to, you know, put a hundred of those inside of an inspection report um, unless you want to take half an hour to download it. So uh, still very, very cool phones. The nice thing is, being completely drop proof, being waterproof. Um, I see way too many iPhones that are still cracked and you know, on a, on a regular basis. Um, checking these phones out, you can find them both on Amazon. Um, you, know, you can also, obviously an important thing is there's different versions of these phones. So like with the Caterpillar S61, they had several different models. So if you're purchasing it direct from Amazon, make sure you get the model that works with your phone carrier if you plan on using it um, directly you know with a cell service 
versus just hot spotting it. If you're just hot spotting it with your, with your normal cell phone, it doesn't matter. Um, anyways, super exciting technologies there. Definitely check both of those out. Uh, those were just the, uh, the two screenshots there. Okay, so we're gonna delve into the next topic. Let me see if there was any uh, questions. Um, Jasmine, did you see any questions I missed there as I was going through stuff? Um, I don't think so. The only other one I think that we had was um, if uh, Home Inspector Pro Mobile will work on these phones. It does, yeah. Um, and honestly, so will HomeGage, so will Spectora, so will Inspect it. The, these phones are running normal Android software. So any app that works on Android should work perfectly fine on these. Um, one thing we did see with the Cat S61s, and hopefully they've improved it with the six S62s, is guys in Florida had a hard time using them. Um, they, if, if it was super hot and humid, they noticed that the, the touch on the screen was giving them a little bit of a hard time or they were overheating. Um, it probably has to do with how enclosed they are to make sure that they're waterproof. Um, but uh, just something to be aware of if you're, if you're in Florida. It was the only place that we saw guys have an issue with it, but they still, we still have guys there in Florida that swear by them and, and love them. So it's not to say it doesn't work there. It was just, they had to be a little more cautious of, you know, leaving it out in the sun uh, versus, a, versus a normal phone. All right, so now breaking into our extremely, extremely, extremely important topic, digital security. Um, I want to spend a lot of time going over this because this is critical. This is critical for your business. Uh, this is critical for your life. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go over this in a second here. Um, you are vulnerable. You, you might not realize you are, but you most definitely are. Um, I've given this talk now three or four times at different conferences for home inspectors. I've given this talk to school districts and other businesses. And one of the advantages I had in the past, and I unfortunately didn't have the, the advantage here, um, is normally at a conference, you know, I'm there for a couple days and my talk's not the first day. I know who's going to be in the room. And I, at each conference, have spent about an hour the night before I speak looking up at least 10 guys' information. And by information, I mean passwords because I know them. You know, people who use my software I've known for years. And so what I'll do, uh, is I'll spend a little bit of time, like I said, about an hour, and I'll look through hacked databases online and I'll find their passwords. And then what I did at the last conference is I wrote down, uh, it was uh, Mike Crow's, uh, the Inspection Go conference, I wrote down 10 or 15 passwords for inspectors, put them in a sheet of paper for each individual guy, and I had a runner, I stapled them shut, run the password to them. And during this talk, I had them all open that sheet of paper and look at their password. And even though there's three or 400 guys in the room, the fact that they were able to look around and see these other people that were like, holy crap, Dominic has my password. One of the guys said immediately, this is my bank account password. And I thanked him and told him I knew that. And I'd actually ordered pizza for all 500 people in the room. And, uh, you know, he'd find it on his credit card charge later. Um, but within one hour, I was able to find passwords for about 15 guys. One inspector came up to me and told him, told me that the password that I had found was the password for his retirement accounts, his financial retirement accounts. And others, it was, um, you know, for their 
I think I have a picture here in a, in a little bit for their RunKeeper account, you know, the account that they use for, for exercising. Um, so I just, I, I want to lock that in to everybody. And it's a little easier in person when you can see people's facial expressions as they're freaking out because I hand them their password. I was very careful to pick people that I knew wouldn't take me outside and beat the crap out of me after the class because there were guys that I knew. Um, but the reality is to, to really sink in how critical this is. Um, it took me merely an hour to look online and find guys' passwords. So you are vulnerable. What does this mean? This means that a competitor can get your, your website uh, password just to screw with you. Uh, they can get access to your email. They can get access to your bank accounts, to your QuickBooks accounts, to your investments, to your inspection software, to your Amazon account. Um, and unfortunately, if they get access to your Amazon account, they're not ordering random crap to you. They're ordering random crap to someone else. I've had people who've had their Amazon account hacked and they just start shipping packages to, you know, someplace on their street um, that, uh, so they don't want to deliver stuff to their house because you'll be able to figure out who it was. They'll deliver stuff to the street and they'll watch the tracking until the box is dropped off and they'll, they'll go grab it. So, you know, how, you know, what's going on? Well, one of the ways that, uh, we've pointed out to people that they should know that their information is out there. Um, one email that I've had people come to me over and over again and point out to me is they get an email saying, I've recorded you watching porn and I can prove it. This is a, a baiting email um, and it is spam, but it also isn't spam. So, these do go out, they're, they're automated emails that go to everybody. And they'll say that, hey, I saw you looking at porn last night. Um, and normally the people would just delete that except for one thing. Your password is included in that email. So what happens is there are millions, billions actually of, of hacked usernames and passwords that are online. And, and these databases are easily accessible. Uh, in the in the dark internet, uh, it's not hard for a you know 16 year old kid to figure out how to get access to this this information, and so what they'll do is they'll grab one of these databases that includes a password and emails, and they'll they'll create an email and they'll they'll have a little program send an automated message including the hacked information your email account and your password to all these websites. And what they say is, hey, I'm gonna release this video to all your friends and your family unless you give me you know, $1,000 to my Bitcoin account in the next, uh, next 12 hours. And the way that they do this is they have that hacked information already. And because you're receiving that email that has your password, you now think that that is a, a valid email. You know, holy crap, you know, um, or maybe you don't think it's valid, but the, the point is, is that because you're receiving that password, that is a huge red flag that your information is out there. No, the person really wasn't recording you. No, they're not going to release, you know, that email out to all your family and friends with the video. Um, but I want you to take note of when you see these emails, and especially if that turns out to be a password that you're still using, that should be a massive red flag uh, that you immediately need to act because, you know, this guy does have your information and so do a lot of other people. So passwords, um, write this down. Have I been pawned.com or owned? It's really a kind of uh, hacker geek speak for owned. It's, it's have I been P-W-N-E-D, 
Uh, I did not mistype that. That's actually how it's spelled. Have I been pawn.com? So this website will not tell you what everyone's password is. It won't tell you what your comp competitor's password is. What it will do is you type in your email address and it'll show you a list of all the databases that have been hacked that your information was in. Uh, I think they also have a service where they will email you and you only your passwords because they'll send them to your email address. Um, that, I think that's a pay service they have on top of that. But just searching to see right now, is my password in that shared database or, or I should say collection of shared databases is something that every single one of you should be doing today. Have I been pawn.com, write that down, make sure you go to it and you will be shocked. Now, how is this possible? Um, Databases are hacked constantly, and this could be uh, this could be the MySpace database hack, um, you know, from years ago. This could be the LinkedIn hack. Um, just recently, we I saw that um, Canva, which is a, a very big software program that people use for marketing, was hacked. Um, you know, LinkedIn has been hacked. Um, there, there's there's a million different sources of, of data hacks that occur. And if you use that password on one website, then you probably use that password on a hundred other websites. And so hackers will sit there and look at that information and, and find it in other places. Uh, Yahoo has been hacked over and over and over again uh, on the order of almost a billion passwords and usernames have been hacked with, with uh, Yahoo. A lot of times these hacks don't include your actual plain text password. What they include is your encrypted password. Um, there's very few sites that still store passwords in plain text, meaning if you look in the database, I can see your password is password one, two, three. It's normally, it goes through an algorithm and it hashes the password, which means it, it converts it from password one, two, three to this 50 character long string of gobbledygook. But what happens is when the hackers get that database, they have a large library of, you know, 500 million common passwords and they'll run those passwords through the same algorithm that the website does and they'll get out a, a list of all the encrypted passwords and they'll match up that encrypted password with the encrypted password that's in the database. And so if those encrypted passwords match, now they know what your password is. So one of the important things is using a password that's as complicated as possible that's not going to be in those streams. Um, but the other thing is, is, is using a different password. Every single website that I use has a different password and that's extremely important. So how the hell do we do that? How do we keep track of, you know, I have over a thousand websites easily that, that I use. Uh, I, I use probably 150 to 200 websites that I log into per month uh, for, for business and for other, other, uh, other reasons, personal things and other stuff. So how the hell do we do this? So the important thing is to get what we call a password manager. Um, the most popular one, the one I, the one I use is Dashlane, uh, LastPass, 1Password, are all very, very common password managers. Now what the password managers do is they're a software program that you install everywhere. They go on your personal computer, they go on your work computer, they go on your cell phone. And every time you go to a website, you type, you, when you register for the first time, it'll randomly generate a password for you instead of you typing it. I actually don't know what my passwords are for my websites anymore. 
because every single website has a completely separate 30 character long password that includes you know, all sorts of symbols, numbers, caps, lower cases, and all sorts of stuff. And if I, on the rare occasion, have to like, you know, give my password to my wife to type in, it takes me, you know, five minutes to sit there and write it down or, or copy and paste it and send it to her because it's, it's not a normal password. Um, and the other cool thing is with, with these tools, like uh, Dashlane and these other ones, is that they'll take the, the most common websites that are used, uh, bank accounts, uh, Amazon, financial institutions, and they actually have a feature where you can say, change all these passwords right now. And uh, when I run it, there's about 40 websites that Dashlane can automatically change. And in the background, like I don't even see it, it logs into the websites, goes to the profile screen and changes the password. So the first time that I used Dashlane, this is what I saw. And the first time that I looked up in the hack databases before I gave one of these talks, my information, I found my bank account password to my Chase account. And I'm a pretty tech savvy person. Um, and I do a decent job at, at what before at keeping, you know, I had maybe like 30 rotating passwords that I used and I still found my bank account password for Chase because I had used it on one other site and that other site had been hacked as well. So that's when I, I actually had found that and decided that I needed to do these security talks. I was actually doing a security talk for a school district at the time that had asked me to come in. And I just opened my eyes, holy crap, some hacker, hacker could instantly get access to my bank accounts, transfer my money out, wire money somewhere else, and I'd be screwed. You know, my bank account links to multiple different accounts. And so does yours. And I guarantee you that, you know, if there's, there's a, over a hundred people in the room right now that I could probably get into 10 people's bank accounts within an hour. And, and, you know, that's, I have not the greatest hacking skills at all. It's literally just searching through and finding the right website that has these hack databases. So what did I see? Oops, go back here. I saw this. So, First, this tells you I go to a lot of websites because uh, I had, what's that, seven? I had about a thousand websites at the time that I was using. Only 187 of the websites had completely safe passwords. 204 had compromised passwords. That means that I, and, and the reality was, that means that the password had been used on another website. Um, there's, there was quite a few websites at the time that I didn't care about. There were one-time websites I logged into the day I, you know, went to 24hourprescriptionglasses.com or whatever and used just a junk password that I would reuse. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. But I saw these passwords all over the place. Passwords that were reused. On 503 websites, I had reused the same password. 149 websites, I had a weak score. My password health score that Dashlane told me was a 62. Uh, let's remember, 62%. Yeah, that's a D, almost an F, uh, as far as what we uh, remind our kids daily when we see their test scores. Um, so <laughs> what the hell do you do when you see this? First, you, you act calm. You don't panic, although part of you needs to be panicking because I... I the first time I taught this, a year later, I had people coming up to me saying, I watched this class with you last year. Um, you covered this topic and I still haven't done anything. And I wanted to strangle them because I told them and showed them 
uh, and in several of them, I had actually logged in and, and shown them within five minutes of their passwords that they used, um, that this information was all exposed. And we constantly sit here and think, you know what, who the hell is going to care about hacking me? Well, the reality is this is an automated process now. They have uh, programs that will sit there and take this hacked information and they'll try logging into chase.com or B of A or Wells Fargo, whatever bank account you use, uh, your E-Trade account all day long until they find valid, valid logins. And it's nothing personal. It's just an account of yours that they can get into. Uh, there are a lot of hacks going on right now where people are, where these, they're using these scripts and they're holding your data hostage. So they'll get into your Amazon account, they'll get into uh, your, your computer and they'll encrypt all your data. And there's school districts local to me in Southern California here um, where they had several schools where they hacked and encrypted the data on every computer on campus, as well as most importantly, the servers by getting a virus on there. And they got in and then they demanded $100,000 to give the code, the password, to unencrypt all this information. Um, so you're, you're exposed. And so using a, a password manager, it'll generate a random password for every site when you register, you create a new account. You're gonna have to spend some time logging into your most vulnerable accounts immediately, going to the profile section, go to change password, and it'll dash lane or whatever you use will pop up and say, hey, I see you want a new password, you want me to type it in? You say yes. It doesn't. Now, the cool thing is, is, is like Dashlane, I think is a hundred bucks a year. Um, especially now with everyone at COVID, so many people working from home about four years ago, I gave Dashlane to my entire family for Christmas. Uh, I'm famous for trying to find the coolest thing because it's also one of the laziest things, but I find the coolest thing I can. And I give it to everyone in my family. One year that was uh, exercising wireless headphones. Another year it was uh, giving them all Alexa five years ago you know, or an echo. Uh, four years ago was everyone got a, a Dashlane account. Made Christmas really easy, but it was really cool. Dashlane and these other services will automatically fill in your information. So if I go to create a new account, it'll fill in my name, my address, my phone number, everything automatically. It'll also automatically log you in. So if you go into, you know, um, you know, the Nachi website, it'll automatically put in my name and password and click on login. So all of that happens at the exact same time. Um, so it saves time as you're going through there. Now I see Gary Ricker has the, the perfect question here. What happens when the password manager website gets hacked? So to date, none of these have been, but here's the important thing. With your password manager, you do have to type in your, your name and your password and one other piece of information I'll get in here in just a second to log into those systems. The password you use for these, you need to remember this one password, the password for your password manager. This needs to be an extremely complicated password. So you want it to be 10 to 15 characters long. Um, it could be a common phrase you use, but include numbers, include holding the shift key down when you're clicking on numbers and memorize that. Because here's what happens, and I talked about this a few minutes ago. These security sites are not storing your password in plain text. They're not storing them in a method that a human being can read. They're storing them encrypted. And so even if a hacker uh, gets the, the list of hacked passwords for these password managers, 
And then they also got the algorithm that's used to hash the passwords and that's kept totally separate with these companies. So realistically, unless it's someone that's internal to the company, they shouldn't be able to get both pieces, but you never know, let's say they do. What they're gonna do is they're gonna run through the 500 million versions of different people's passwords through that algorithm and they're gonna get out the list of secured encrypted passwords and they're gonna try to match that up with every account. So when this happens with all these other sites that get hacked, the people that have these really complicated passwords, those are never exposed because they can't reverse engineer the password. The passwords are all one-way algorithms. And so if they can't, if they don't have that password in their random password set to put in, then they can't match that up. So you need to use something that's extremely complicated. Now, of course, any of these websites, their, their, their whole business relies on, on security. So if one of them does get hacked, um, they better immediately tell everybody so they can update their master password immediately. Um, and then that way, you know, they, otherwise their entire business will be destroyed. Um, so, uh, which one do I use? I, I use Dashlane. I have tons of friends that use LastPass or 1Password. Um, like I said, 100 bucks a year is more than worth it. Um, I, I cannot over or underestimate uh, the importance of this. Now, on top of that, there's another thing that's extremely important, and this is called two-factor authentication. Um, you'll also, you'll see it referred to as 2FA or MFA, multi-factor authentication, because you can actually have multiple things now. Now, what the hell does this mean? Well, like we just said, your password is extremely important, but we want more than that. And so how do we do that? So two-factor authentication uses two techniques um, or, or two different methods of, of getting this. And actually there's more, but these are the main two. The first is to use an app on your phone that randomly generates a new code every 30 seconds. So if I go to uh, the Authy app on my phone right now, um, and someone has my Amazon password, they have uh, you know, 30 seconds to also type in this code and have my password to log into my Amazon account. If they don't have that code and the password in the next 30 seconds, that code's gonna change. And the only way to get that code is to have the app on my phone. And the only way to get on my phone, well, it used to be with my Pixel 3, there was a fingerprint reader, but for some reason on the Pixel 4, they took away my fingerprint. So I used to say you had to chop off my finger uh, and use uh, my password and get that code uh, all at the same time. The Pixel 4 removed it. I think the Pixel 5 is putting the, the fingerprint reader back on. But the point is you need your phone and to get that code, you have to type in a password into that app and they need your normal password. The other method is they'll send a text message to your phone. Um, and so you have to put in the password and you have to put in the, the text message. So if you want to log into Amazon, you want to log into a bank account, uh, you want to log into your financial institutions, all of these secure websites have two-factor authentication that you can find and turn on under the profile uh, settings where you normally change your password. There is one drawback to this social engineering. And social engineering or, or social hacking means you're the vulnerability to this. You're the weak link most of the time with this. And I'll give you a perfect example. I was giving this talk last year and this woman came up to me afterwards to tell me a story. And it was a, actually she told me to it before the talk because I remember I used it during the talk. It was a perfect, perfect story. So she gets a call 
from uh, Barclays credit card or from, from her bank, her, her bank, let's say Chase Bank, um, saying, hey, um, we detect that your credit card was, was just used in Brazil. And we just want to confirm, you know, are you in Brazil right now? And, you know, the woman goes, no, absolutely not. You know, I, I, I was not in Brazil. That's not me. Um, someone has my credit card information. And, um, you know, and, and she goes, you know, uh, no problem. Um, you know, let me just confirm a few things to make sure that you're you. And, um, you know, if that, just so we know that, you know, if someone doesn't have your phone and then we'll shut down your bank card. Um, so, you know, can you please uh, confirm that your name is blah, blah, blah. And they'll tell you your name because it's in a hack database somewhere. Uh, and your email address is this, and you live at this address. Yes. So as a hacker, I can easily have your name, email address, and, and your address. Realistically, I can have your social and all sorts of other things as well, right? They already have your password too, but you don't know this. So they're, they're, they're the bank. So they're giving you this information. They're building up your confidence. And you're sitting there going, eh, I, I, you know, this sounds real, but I'm not 100% sure. Then the last thing is the person says, all right, you know, uh, no problem. Um, let me just one last thing. I'm going to send you a code right now. Um, six digits. Just please read this back to me. Tell me the code that I'm sending you just to verify that you have your phone in the possession and that you're you. Um, and then we'll, we'll cancel this card. And so the woman's like, all right. So they, she gets a text message. Text message has the code right there. She reads the code. Personally, the line says, you know, thank you very much. No problem. We've canceled your card. Um, and we'll send you out a, a, new, a new card here immediately. So what was the problem? You, you, you verified your name, your phone number, uh, your mailing address. Great. They already have that information. And then you just read back to them the code that they sent you. So where was the, the vulnerability? What, what just happened? Five minutes later, money was being sucked out of this woman's bank account. How? What, I mean, how is that possible? Well, they already had her name and password. The one thing they didn't have is that when they go to the website and try to log into the bank account, you had two-factor authentication turned on. They can't log into your bank account without a six-digit code. So what they did is they're sitting there on chase.com and they call you. And as soon as they get to that part, they type in your login information and Chase sent the woman her six-digit code, her two-factor authentication code. And then the person now is saying, hey, let me know the code I sent you, except they didn't send it, the Chase bank account did. Uh, as Gerald pointed out, this is a man in the middle attack. Yeah, you, you are the weak link. And all you thought you were doing is reading back a code you thought the person on the phone sent you seems totally innocuous. But the reality is that was actually your bank account that was sending that two-factor code. So you're vulnerable even there. Uh, the other problem with, with the text messaging method is the SIM card attacks. So someone is able to clone your SIM card or um, Verizon and the other carriers have had this problem where they have someone in the, in the store that's, that's giving up the SIM card information and so they can load a phone with your info and then they'll receive your text message. So even that's not completely secure. Um, that's why I use the app, right? So I'll use an app, Authy is one of them. What happens is you go to these websites and they have a little QR code that shows on the screen. You hold up your phone, it reads the QR code. That QR code is the generating algorithm for you, for your account. 
and I can see the password that changes every 30 seconds. So I don't have to rely on um, a text message coming through. And if someone calls me saying that they need that code, I know to tell them, hell no. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to call back the bank to make sure I don't need to talk to someone who's on the phone right now. Um, so using a separate app, Authy is just one of them. Uh, Google has uh, Google Auth or G Authenticator or something like that, that they've released to you. Um, there's a lot of apps. I use these apps. What is the number one source? Where are you most vulnerable? If we look at website, email, bank accounts, QuickBooks, investments, your inspection software, competitor really hates you. They can ask their 16 year old kid to get into your inspection software website, log into your ISN and, and you know, create a, a bunch of fake inspections, nuke a bunch of data, and you know, they'll have to restore a, a backup from you that hopefully you have. Um, but what is the weakest link on this? What is the one password above everything else that you don't want to be lost if you're, if you're looking through this list? Well, you might think it's your investment account or your bank account, but the reality is it's actually your email account. Because if you lose your password to your bank account, you lose your password to your, your investment account, your QuickBooks account, or your website, and, you, and that person clicks forgot password to reset the password, where's that password going? That password is going to go to your email account. So really to control your entire life, a hacker just needs to get access to your email account. So you have to secure that. So as soon as we're done with this meeting, when you're, when you're done today during the lunch break, um, you want to go to Google, to Yahoo, to whatever the hell you're using for your email and turn on at the very least, turn on two-factor authentication right now so that you're getting a text message until you get yourself set up with, with Authy or another app um, so that you're generating those codes to protect that information. Like I said, when I did this in the past, I was within an hour able to get 10 to 15 people's bank account information, or not bank account, but a password to at least one or more of their uh, accounts that they still used across multiple different sources. So extremely critical. I, I can't, um, I can't emphasize it enough. Like I said, my bank account password, you know, major hip geek, you know, I'm, I'm the CEO of a software company and my bank account password was, was the one that was exposed. Um, so I, I just can't go over enough how important it is that, that you guys do this. Um, taking a, a break here to look at questions. Um, John uh, Provoznik said, do the password softwares work with smart TVs, for an example, Netflix, Amazon, private, et cetera? Um, so they will generate at any time a random password for you. So like what I did with my Netflix account. Um, and in fact, my Netflix account is a perfect example. Somebody two years ago got, a, got my password to my Netflix account because I logged in and there was a crap load of videos that were, you know, suggested that was anime and that was films in Spanish. Now, I took four years or three years of Spanish in high school, but I'm certainly not watching TV in Spanish and I'm not the biggest anime fan. You know, there's a few things that are okay. But the point was someone hacked my Netflix account and was watching Netflix. And so um, what I've done is on Dashlane, you can go in uh, and log into Netflix's website and it'll generate a password for there. And that one time you log into your, your smart TVs and everything else, on the app, you can always log in on your phone or on your computer. I guess log in every like 15 minutes you wanna use the, the Dashlane app. 
and it'll tell you what the password is for that account. And then you have to manually type in that password into your smart TVs. Now that's one of the most painful things you can ever do because that password is a massive, you know, just mess of where you have to hold down the shift key and you're using characters and numbers and all sorts of other stuff. Um, but at least once it's in the TV, it's stored. Uh, some of the services like Disney Plus, they'll sync with the login on your phone. In your phone, you can log into Netflix automatically using Dashlane um, or Amazon Prime, it works as well. But on the TVs itself, there's, there's no um, password software that I'm aware of at least that will store on the TV. But the nice thing is those systems store your password, so you only need to enter it in once. Um, Russell commented, he's used a LastPass for years. It's awesome. Uh, I agree. I, I know a lot of people using LastPass. Um, and using Dashlane, and they've definitely not had any information. Uh, Lisa commented, if I see any of my info, do I just change the passwords or I should do something else? So if you see your password used, you need to get one of these programs even quicker because what's interesting is the passwords are all stored on your computer in plain text. So when you install Dashlane, and I'm just using that as an example, uh, the first thing it does is it scroll, it goes through uh, Google Chrome, uh, Edge, Firefox, whatever you're using, and it grabs all the usernames and passwords and loads them in Dashlane. Now that's the scary thing. The software program was able to read all your passwords. That means any sort of virus on your computer can also read all those passwords. And then it loads them all into Dashlane, which is great. But now my computer is still weak link. So I hear from inspectors all the time, hey, I need to reload my software um, uh, on my new computer. What happened to your old computer? Oh, it was in my truck. My truck got broken into and gotten stolen. Okay, your computer got stolen, which means now your entire life is now vulnerable because if someone is able to log in to your computer, they can grab every password you have stored on that physical computer. Now, hopefully you have two-factor authentication turned on so that you have a backup there's a million websites that don't require two-factor authentication, or you might not have it turned on, on, turned on. So you have to make sure you do that. Um, you know, Shannon Gate would just run it and said, yep, my junk password uh, has been pawned on 13 websites. Uh, he was just looking up as we're talking. Luckily, nothing on his normal email or his work email. Remember, these databases um, give you a lot of information, but there's still a lot of hacks out there that aren't even in these databases. You know, the, these companies like Ivan Pond, they collect this information and then they use it to give it to you. Um, you'll see a lot of banks now or, um, uh, you know, different uh, security sites. I've even seen credit bureaus and stuff now email me to say, hey, we found your exposed password somewhere. Well, there's, there's APIs, there's little programs that are set up with these hacked uh, databases websites where they can pull and see, hey, are my client's passwords being exposed on other websites? So that way I can say, hey, um, you know, our website wasn't hacked, but just to let you know, the password you use for our website was hacked in another website, you better change your information now. So super critical. Uh, I'll pause here, see if anyone has a, has a question there while I take a drink. Um, let's see, Al Morris. Uh, can we use one account as a family or each person need an individual one? So great question. Um, I would highly recommend that each person has an individual account um, for a few different reasons. The first reason is when you go to log into a website, one of the nice features is it'll automatically log you into the website. 
if you have multiple Gmail accounts, for example, what will happen instead is you need to click on the login field. It'll give you a list of all the people that have a Gmail account and you select one and then you'll be able to log in. Um, the other is, you know, you might be using this for work, um, Dashlane, and you don't want to share your entire life, um, all your passwords and information, you know, directly with other people in your office. But what the really cool feature is, is that you can share particular accounts. So my wife and I both have separate, you know, Dashlane accounts. She doesn't need to see the, you know, thousand plus websites that I have. She doesn't need to see my account information to auto log in when she's trying to log into Gmail. But what I've done is all the important things in my, in our lives, you know, our, our life insurance accounts and email accounts and stuff like that. You can share just those sites with another family, your spouse's uh, account. And then that way, whenever the password is updated on my side, it'll automatically reflect on your spouse's side or my wife's side. So that way she can always get into any of those uh, important accounts at, at any time, uh, which is critical. If something happens to me, she can actually get into to everything, you know, rather quickly. Uh, otherwise, you know, she'd have a lot of problems. Um, <clears throat> someone said Yubico makes some cool products. That's not something that I've seen. Uh, I'll have to, have to check that out. Uh, any other questions? We also, yeah, we have another question here. Um, what about Face ID? Face ID. So, so really good question. Um, if you want to see how good Face ID is, I have Face ID on my phone and my computer. Go find a really good picture of yourself and then hold it up to your computer and then get back to me and let me know how good you think Face ID is. Uh, unfortunately, Face ID is relatively easy to be faked with a photograph of you. Uh, some software has gotten a little bit better at trying to detect the difference between a photo and not a photo. Um, I, I still, I use Face ID on my phone, you know, but the, if it reboots, it needs to use a code as well as the Face ID because, you know, if, if I lose my phone, it's not likely going to be someone that, that also has a picture of my face. Um, but Face ID is not the most secure method. So it definitely can be hacked. In fact, when Microsoft first came out with it, within 15 minutes, there was tons of, of news articles about people who had already faked it out using photographs of themselves. So uh, remember the cameras are taking two-dimensional photos um, when they're scanning your face. The picture is still two-dimensional. So you know, it's, until we get three-dimensional uh, cameras built into our, our computers, uh, face ID is not one of the most secure methods. Uh, was there anything else there, Jasmine? I don't know. I, well, I, actually, hang on. It looks like we have a couple other questions here. Looks like we have, what about fingerprint access to phone? Uh, fingerprint access is awesome. That was one of my favorite features of the Pixel 3 and one of the things I was most disappointed at with the Pixel 4. Um, fingerprint access is, is the fastest way to log into any phone. I mean, even using facial recognition, it can take my phone like 10 seconds to recognize me, especially if I have my glasses on or my, my biking helmet because I'm out, you know, biking and I got to sit there and take stuff off. Fingerprint access, there's a little fingerprint reader, you touch it, it logs you in. <clears throat> um, I would highly, highly recommend um, using fingerprint access on your, on your cell phone if they have it. Um, iPhones and iPads have it built into the, the home button <clears throat> and then some of the Android phones have it. And I heard it's one of the things, like I said, they're bringing back with the Pixel 5. Anything else there, Jasmine? All right. And then I think, yeah, I think we have time for one last question and then we're going to end things in a couple minutes here. 
Um, so Colin asked, is there a handout or something you have uh, with all of the apps and companies you've discussed today? Um, I'm gonna put up my, uh, my smartphone app screen here because I think we have till, what did we say? Uh, uh, well, 8.45 my time, we're doing till uh, 11.45 here. So I got like nine minutes. Um, I'll yeah, put you this could, yep. Okay, I'll put this up um, and then you guys can take a screenshot. Um, if you go join the, the Home Inspector Pro uh, Facebook group, you can ask any questions on there that you have. You can also ask on the InterNACHI forums. You know, I jump on there pretty regularly. I think I only have like 20,000 posts on there. Um, so you guys can certainly take a look at that. Um, smartphone apps for home inspectors. <clears throat> so, you know, like I said, we don't have time to, to go through everything. But let me kind of just, you know, briefly go through uh, some of the most important uh, or most used apps I see inspectors using. <clears throat> and, you know, take, take a picture of this with your camera. So <clears throat> bubble level or a clinometer, a uh, bubble level app is awesome. Uh, you, you set it down on a surface. Uh, you're looking at the kitchen floor and you're like, God, this, this really looks like it's sloped. You set the, the, the device down, you hit the lock button so that it, it locks in the, the slope. And then you take a screenshot and then you insert that photo into your software, into your inspection report. So now I have proof, not only am I saying the floor is sloped, but I have a screenshot showing that there was an eight degree slope in the kitchen. Uh, Clinometer is a, is a little more advanced than the bubble level. Um, I actually, it, it does, uh, it, it, you know, much more fine tuning of the degrees. I actually used it at one point to help a buddy install a direct TV dish uh, because we had to, had a compass built in, you had to point south at like 147 degrees or whatever it was. So it's just a little more advanced version of bubble level. Cam scanner is awesome for taking pictures of any documents, permits, stuff that you find. And then it removes the photo quality portion of it and makes it look much more like a document that you scanned. Um, and there is a free version and paid version. I highly recommend uh, getting cam scanner and using it for all your, your legal docs and stuff that you'll come across. Um, Echo Bee and Nest, both products that you'll come across, um, you know, when you're, when you're especially more and more, you're, you're testing HVAC systems and houses. Um, people can lock the Echo Bee, they can lock the Nest. Um, so you can't make changes. They might lock it to a specific <clears throat> range. Like I don't let my kids turn down the temperature on my Nest. Um, you know, below, you know, 70 degrees, um, or they're upstairs. So I actually don't let them put it below 80, but downstairs, it can go to 68, you know, however, where if your kids are separate, obviously you, you can treat them totally differently. Um, but you can, if you have to test the nest and, you know, you can't get a hold of the, of the seller, <clears throat> uh, you want to know what you're doing. But if you look at the nest manual, you can actually just pull the face off. And then you can use a single wire to actually to jump the AC or the heater and turn it on. Um, you definitely want to know what you're doing when you do that because you could blow the fuse if you select the wrong wires. Uh, I helped a, a school district a couple summers ago install a hundred Echo Bees at the, at the school that my wife's at. And we did that all day long to test the thermostats. Just a simple wire, you just jump it, <clears throat> it bypasses it and it turns the system on. Um, Maybe not the best thing to be advocating, but you know, sometimes some guys really want to test stuff out. Uh, using IRC pocket or e-code searches, you know, obviously be able to look up codes quickly. Uh, AirMap is a great program to see if it's legal to fly your drone where you're at. If you're in Southern California, uh, it basically, you know, just gives you a big red flag no matter where you are, you know, because there's always a hospital or a, a um, airstrip somewhere. 
Um, <clears throat> Magic Plan is a pretty amazing software program that allows you to um, uh, get a, a full uh, blueprint of a room or a house by standing in the middle and taking pictures. Uh, pitch gauge is for getting the pitch of the roof. Um, ADT Pulse, obviously, for security. <laughs> uh, you'll see a lot of clients use that if you're testing out a system. Uh, Rachio, SkyDrop, those are both Wi-Fi uh, sprinkler systems. I've used both. They look for a panel similar to um, like a, a old iPod that has a dial on it, um, you know, where the sprinkler box is. You can turn on the sprinklers or there's an app. Uh, Ferret Wi-Fi is a cool endoscope feature that uh, a lot of inspectors have been buying. Uh, Smart Ruler is a small little ruler app if you want to measure a hole and take a picture. Uh, Ring, obviously, for doorbells. Google Voice we talked about um, earlier if you want to have all your voicemails uh, transcribed. Ways for travel. You know, you're going point A to point B. Ways is the way to do it and to tell you what traffic there's going to be and to reroute you. Uh, Zillow for looking up um, uh, how, many, how many air vents or what type of air vents or how many they should have or how big they should be. Um, and then obviously having an inspection software is extremely important as well. Um, you need to be doing whatever your, your software is. Get the mobile version. Uh, stop replicating and doing stuff on site and at home.